Tonight I want us to read a few verses. Luke chapter 17. Let's begin in verse number 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They are are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, bless your word tonight. Speak to our hearts, Lord. We're trusting the supernatural moving and wooing of the Holy Ghost this evening to accomplish in us that which the arm of flesh will fail to accomplish. Help us to surrender to Your Word, to Your leading. God, we just ask tonight that You would bring about in our hearts and lives a greater devotion and dedication to You. Lord, that You'd take inventory this evening of where we need to be closer to You and help us to be obedient in the admonitions you give us. Father, we love you tonight. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, here in the Word of God, we have the story that many of you have heard of these ten men that were lepers. All ten of them are lepers. We do not know where all ten of them came from. We know that they're in a little village in the region of Samaria and Galilee. We do know that the one that returns back is a Samaritan. But, you know, there's not a whole lot that we really know about these ten men. Uh, We have one overwhelming truth about their life, that they were on a pathway to death and destruction, but they met the Savior, and He changed their condition and their situation. Now, can I say to you tonight that when I read this passage and I look at these lepers, I just can't help but see a picture of you and I. We were in the very same condition that these lepers were. Now, some of you are saying, Preacher, wait a minute now. I've had the flu. Uh, I've had chicken pox. But I've never had leprosy. Well, I hope that's the case. I know that leprosy is a very uncommon disease uh, in uh, first world countries. But you see, leprosy in the Word of God was always a picture of sin. And you may have never had physical leprosy, but I promise you that you were born a sinner. So you see, when I see these lepers, I want to say a word tonight about the leper's disease and how it relates to you and I. Notice first off in verse 11, their country. The Bible says he was passing through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Now some of you as I would say, but now preacher, you just told me a moment ago, we do not know where they all came from. No, but the Bible's very careful to tell us that the one that returned, he was a Samaritan. Now, why is that important? Why is that significant? If you've read your Bible and if you've studied carefully, you'd know that Samaritans were always considered lesser in 
in the mind and in the eyes of a Jewish person. Uh, you see, when Sennacherib came down and uh, took possession of the northern ten tribes, uh, he had a policy. He knew that he may not be able to drive all the Jews out. He knew that he would be getting rid of a lot of slave labor if he killed them all out. But he understood the cultural importance of their pure bloodline, and so he began to, uh, to intermarry his Assyrian citizens uh, with these Jewish slaves. And in doing so, he created a half-breed of society uh, that in Bible times was known as a Samaritan. Uh, you see, uh, that's the reason that Christ looks at the woman at the well, or the woman at the well looks at him and says, uh, "Why? How is it that thou, being as a Jew, uh, askest drink of me, which art a Samaritan?" Uh, that was a no-no in that day. That was something you did not do. Uh, but I'm thankful that when I see uh, that Jesus Christ could have gone to any number of people, uh, and there were nine other lepers, and we don't know where they came from, the, uh, the providential hand of God is very careful to tell us that God was willing to come pass by the way of this Samaritan leper, this man that is the lowest of the low, this man that has a lifespan about that of a housefly, this man that has no cultural importance, that has no religious significance, this man that is just as much of a nobody as anybody that you've ever met, he's willing to come by his way and make a difference in his life. Can I say to you, that's a great encouragement to me. Uh, if that's not an encouragement to you, you may think you're somebody. But I'm very aware that when God saved me, I was a nobody. Just a ten-year-old little boy uh, on his way to hell that the world did not have a single interest in. But God had an interest in me. I'll go ahead and tell you, I didn't come looking for God. I'm thankful that when He started looking for me, I started looking for Him. But I'll go ahead and admit to you, I didn't plan on getting saved on December 1st, 1997. Uh, in fact, if you could roll back the clock, you'd probably find out that it was the farthest thing from my mind. And yet God revealed to me through His Word and through the power of the Holy Ghost my lost condition. And I called upon Christ and He saved me. This man was insignificant. No reason to think that this leper would find grace. No reason to think. I mean, what made him any different than any other leper? You know, this is the beautiful paradox of Scripture. Scripture shows us times when God bestows His grace upon a person. And we say, what is it that made that person worthy of bestowing grace upon them? Oh, but you've asked the wrong question. You see, if anything made them worthy, then it wouldn't be grace. The very thing that made the difference in their life was the grace of God. We see their country, but I want to say a word about their condition. The Bible says they were lepers. Now, leprosy, if you've ever done any study on it, and I advise you to do it on an empty stomach if you do, is a horrendous disease. Uh, it Literally, it, it starts uh, and consumes the human body. They literally decay. Body parts will fall off as they die and become useless. And yet, that's the very disease. Uh, it, it's interesting to me. This tells you how the mind of God, or the mind of God versus the mind of man is. And we talked a little bit about that this morning. Uh, you see, when man uh, has uh, a decision uh, how to portray his personal disease, when man has a decision what to say about his condition, he always does his best to whitewash it. 
We talked about that this morning. Now there's no more drunks, you know. They're all, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're just sick folk, amen. Uh, you know, now there's no more addicts. They're just, they've got a disease, you know. Uh, there's no more whoremongers anymore today. There's just people with addictions. And, uh, you know, a man does everything he can to whitewash it. God, on the other hand, what did he do? He took the worst, the ugliest, the most vile, the most feared disease in existence, and he said, this is a picture of your sin. It's a picture of your sin. That's how God feels about our sinful condition. Uh, It's interesting, uh, you know, leprosy was a disease that was both immediate and chronic. There was no cure for leprosy at that time once it had taken this kind of hold in a person's body. Me and my wife have been reading, and my little boy, reading through uh, the Pentateuch in our devotions, and we read through uh, all of the laws concerning leprosy, and it would fascinate you sometime. I know everybody thinks everything in uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy is boring. You know, that's kind of God's phone book. Nobody likes to read it. But you'd be amazed the things you'd find in there of all the uh, all of the plans and all of the details and all of the uh, processes of dealing with leprosy. But there came a time... When that leprosy had took such a hold in a person, this was the only thing they could do. They could send them to live in what we now call a leper's colony, to isolate them from the general population. And they'd have to go and live with other lepers and associate with other people that had the same death sentence, that were in the same condition that they were in, and had to isolate them from anybody that would have cared about them or loved them. And they would have to go, when they were going down the street, if they saw someone coming, they would have to holler out and say, unclean, unclean, to give them fair warning whenever the wind was blowing. They couldn't stand in such a way that the wind would blow towards a clean person if they had leprosy. This was an immensely contagious disease. Do you know that sin is so contagious that every single person born is born with it? And sin is so contagious in the life of the believer uh, that once he gets sin in his life, if he starts getting around other believers with that sin, most of the time, uh, you know, you don't raise them up. They pull you down most of the time. Isn't that true? I mean, that was our condition. We had a death sentence on us. We were waiting to die. And yet God saw fit to intervene in our life. Notice their cry that they issued forth. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I found it interesting as I read this, and there's a lot of things that I could say about what they said. I would go ahead and confess to you that they used His earthly name. Uh, the angel gave the name to Mary and said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But that, that name Jesus is always eternally connected with the earthly ministry. Uh, most people would uh, not have called him Jesus if they knew him and loved him. They would have called him Lord. And yet not only do they confess his earthly ministry, but they confess his rightful authority. They say, Master. Master. Now, I understand that this word can be sometimes substituted with that of teacher. And it blessed my heart as I read through it just a few moments ago before we started to preach. I I, I see what the... Oh, I like this. This ain't even in my message, but I'm going to tell it to you. I like that once that that one leper stuck around, uh, Jesus looked at him and said, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. I'll get it here in a minute. I'm not speaking in tongues. I'm just stuttering. Amen. Wreck and wonder why it was that he told him to go thy way. He told the other nine to go see the priest. But that one whose faith had made him whole, he told, you know why it is? He was released from the law. 
You know why the other nine had to be told to go see the priest? Uh, they had to spend a little time with that schoolmaster still yet before. That's why whenever God healed them of their leprosy, they took off and ran. They didn't see anything divine in them. Uh, they knew they had been healed, and they were trying to get out of there quick as they could, uh, go home see their families. But this one man, when he sees he's healed, uh, he don't say, Oh, good, look at that. He says, Whoa, wait a minute. If he can heal my leprosy, he can heal my sin problem. And he comes and turns around and comes back. That ain't even part of the message, but I like it, so you're going to get it. Amen. Uh, I'm going to give it to you just because I like it. Uh, but I see a word about their cry. They called out and said, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. They didn't cry out and say, Jesus, Master, make us church members. Jesus, Master, baptize us. They said, have mercy on us. Almost like the publican that looks up towards heaven and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, one of the beautiful things about salvation, I'd say we could line up uh, our salvation testimonies once against another, and we would probably find out that very few of us prayed word for word the same prayer. But we all said the same thing. I, listen, I mean, I'm not opposed to, you know, to giving someone an example of how to pray, although I'm convinced uh, that the human heart knows how to cry out to God. Uh, I, I'm convinced when a person's under conviction, uh, their lips may not say it right, but their heart will get it said. But I'm not necessarily opposed to giving someone a, a, a prayer that teaches them some truths and some ideals, but I do think we've come to a time where we have idolized that prayer and made it like open sesame. And that's dangerous. Because the reality is, it's not what your lips say. In fact, the Bible warns against serving God with lip service. And there's lots of folks that have made professions, but they've never took possession. Lots of folks that have uh, made profession of who Jesus Christ is, uh, but with their hearts, they were far from Him. What they said probably wouldn't be recorded in modern theolo uh, theological, logical books, but uh, uh, it was good enough for the Word of God because it was a cry from the heart. They said, have mercy on us. We see the leper's disease, but I want you to notice uh, the Lord's divine power. Look what happens. He looks at him. I, I, this, oh, I, I tell you, this is fascinating to me. I love this. Look what it says in verse number 14. It says, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, I'm trying not to just preach. I want to preach the message to you that the Lord's given me tonight. You see, you and I, if we've been saved by God's grace, we're in that same condition. We were lost and undone, uh, damned and sent to hell. I mean, it was sealed. We weren't waiting to get to heaven and have the big scales brought out, but the wrath of God abode upon us already. It was already settled that we were going to die and go to hell until God intervened in our life. And I love what the Lord does in this passage. Now, let me tell you how I would do it if I was God. And here in a second, you're going to be thankful I'm not God. And let me tell you, listen. Let me tell you how the Calvinist would do it. Look what the Lord does. He knew that only one would return. But He went ahead and cleansed all nine. You hearing me? He knew that only one would return. But he went ahead and cleansed all nine. According to the Calvinist, Jesus should have just cleansed the one that was going to return. We see the impartial grace of God. Can I tell you something tonight? I'm thankful that God didn't save me based upon the return He could get out of my life. 
I'm glad that God didn't save me uh, with a contingency contract that if I didn't live for Him, He was going to swoop down and take it away. No, friend, when God saved me, He saved me by grace. Grace means without any merit whatsoever of my own ability, of my own attempts, of my own ambitions, of my own aspirations. God didn't save me because of a single thing that I did. Now, some of you say, well, preacher, didn't you have to come to Him? Didn't you have to repent and confess? Oh, yes, I had to do all those things. Uh, But mankind was repenting and confessing long before Calvary ever made the new birth possible. Those things don't save you. Those may be the way that we approach unto God, but it's only the cross of Calvary that can save us from our sins. And I'm thankful that it was not based, listen to me, it was not based upon whether they were going to return or not. You see, that's the problem with us tonight. We've taken the grace of God and we've bartered and dealt with it cheaply. Uh, we, We thought that because it was free to us, it was free in general. But understand that though the grace of God uh, is free to you and I, that's only because it's been bought and paid for. That's only because of Calvary. We have a tendency to take for granted the things that didn't cost us much. I mean, uh, if you look at something, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, Some of you have seen this and some of you have done this with your own kids. Uh, You know, cars a lot of times turn into hand-me-downs. And I won't ask for raised hands because your kids might be here, amen, but have you ever taken that car that you bought and drove yourself for a few years and then handed it down to your young person, to your child, your teenager to drive, and then seen what they did with it? You know the difference. They didn't have to pay for it. Oh, you remember when you'd come out into the, uh, you know, into the driveway, you'd go to hit that concrete landing and you'd ease it down. You wouldn't put your foot on the brake any. You didn't want to ha- uh, try to hurt that brake system. And you just ease up and roll up onto that concrete pad. Uh, you had the tennis ball hanging from the, you know, from the uh, ceiling of your garage so that you had it just in the right place. Uh, you get out and you'd look all over it for any kind of candy wrappers or cokes. That's if you even uh, ate and drank inside of it. You gather it all up and scoop it all up and take it over. And you go to s- uh, shut that door and uh, you shut it like there was a time bomb uh, sitting inside of it waiting to go off. You just ease it closed and it was precious to you you know why it was precious to you because that five hundred dollar payment you was making every month and then you give it to your child and they have got it for three weeks solid and it looks like something the clampets would ride in on they didn't have to pay for it you understand so it wasn't precious to them and here's the danger of course we didn't have to pay for salvation And the danger is that sometimes we don't appreciate it for what it really is. We see His impartial grace. Didn't matter that the other nine were not returning. He cleansed them just the same. And let me tell you something. If God saves you, it'll only be by His grace, not because you made Him a bunch of promises. Not because you... I mean, listen, I believe in repentance now. You don't misunderstand me. I believe in repentance. I believe in a change of the heart and mind. I believe that when God saves a man, He changes him. But I don't believe God is saving him based upon the contingency that He'll go pour out His liquor, throw out His music, change His life, whatever it may be. God's saving him by His grace, by the finished work of Calvary. We see the Lord's impartial grace, but notice we see the leper's immediate glorifying. Now, nine of them didn't do anything. Nine of them just went on their way. Nine of them were cleansed. And this tenth man who was a Samaritan, he was cleansed. But we see, listen carefully now, we see that because of his sensitivity and discernment, because of his sincerity in his spiritual condition, 
we see that the cleansing produced a different effect in him than it did the other nine. Now, what's the difference between them? God gives us the difference here in the passage. In the very last verse that we read, verse 19, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Now, I, listen, this, this is where we get right down to it. The difference in your gratitude level is your faith level and your sincerity level in your walk with God. Uh, you see, there's a lot of us that we've prayed for God to do something, but we asked Him like He's Santa Claus, you know? Like we was uh, putting in a, a uh, you know, requisite for Him with Him. And then God showed up and answered in a mighty way or did something for us. And because we didn't really have faith when we asked God to do it, we don't even attribute it to Him when He has done it. And so we don't have any gratitude. We are a thankless generation. That's the truth of it. We are an ungrateful group of people, us born-again believers. The very fact that God would ever... And I'm not saying we're going to live in perfection. I'm not saying we're going to eradicate the sinful flesh. But the very fact that God would ever have to whip us to get us to serve Him and do right is evidence that we're an ungrateful group of people. We see in this passage that one of them, right when he was healed, what did he do? He turned around and, uh, you know, the high church crowds have took this verse out of their Bible. They don't know what to do with it. He turned around and the Bible says with a loud voice, he shouted and gave glory to God with a loud voice. We see that he rejoiced in the things that God had done in his life. Let me tell you something. Let me just really simplify this for you tonight. You'd find out that if you'd pay attention to everything God's doing for you and talk to sinners about that, you'd lose a lot of that nervousness that you have about telling people about Jesus Christ. A lot of us, because we're ungrateful, and because we are not discerning in our relationship with the Lord, because we're not sober in what He's doing in our lives, we come to the sinner and the best thing we can come up to say to, uh, to him is this, you go to church anywhere. Now, if that's all you've got to say, go ahead and say it. But let me tell you, there's a lot of folks you'll make a lot greater time with if you go up to them and say this. Can I tell you what God did for me today? Can I tell you what the Lord did in my life? You say, oh, preacher, that's splitting hairs. No, we find that testimonial witnessing is the scriptural method and means for telling people what God can do in their life. I'm not saying there's not a place for the Romans' road. I'm not saying that faith doesn't come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We know that's true. But what did this leper talk about? This leper talked about being cleansed of his leprosy because that's what God had done for him. I think so oftentimes, because we don't pay attention to what God's doing for us in our life, we feel like we ain't got nothing to talk about. Testimony time comes and goes and we keep our silence. Uh, the opportunity to talk about what God's done comes and goes, and we maintain our silence, and yet He's done so much for us. We see that when the external interaction produces the internal transformation, it births gratitude in our hearts. And the sad reality is this. So many of us, God is doing stuff for us day in and day out, but we're so pig-headed and stubborn that we don't even see God's doing it. And we're missing the greater blessing. Oh, we'll get to that in a moment. We're missing the greater blessing. Let me ask you something. I wonder who got the greater blessing that day. The nine that got cleansed of their leprosy and died in their sins? Or that tenth one that turned around and come back and found salvation in Jesus Christ? 
There's a lot of us that God wants to do so much in our lives. I'm not talking about a new car. I'm not talking about a nicer house. I'm not talking about a new wardrobe. I'm talking about fixing our families, fixing our home, seeing people that are lost on their way to hell, saved by the grace of God. I'm talking about revival in our church life, in our personal life. There's so much that God wants to do for us. And all we can think to pray is, Lord, help me make my bills this week. I'm not saying you don't take those things to the Lord. I'm saying that there's a greater blessing that we're so often missing. We see in this passage uh, the leper's immediate glorifying. But I want you to notice the leper's immense gratitude. What does it say? It says that he fell down at his feet and worshipped him. I kind of put it this way. In fact, I put this on Facebook. If you don't have it, you don't know that. If you do have it, you probably still didn't care. But... Uh, I, I put this on Facebook because God bro- uh, broke my heart and brought it to my mind. Gratitude will produce three things in our life. It will produce a uh, returning, it'll produce a rejoicing, and it'll produce a revering of Jesus Christ. You know what? If there's nothing else that can drive us to our face before God, it ought to be the goodness that He shows to us every day. Because there ain't a one of us that God's not been good to. Hey, if you're lost and undone in this place tonight, God's still been good to you. Preacher, how do you know that He's been good to me? You're drawing a breath, aren't you? When He could have snuffed you out at any moment. So many of us here, we ought to be laid in a grave or laid up in a sick bed. We ought to be uh, bankrupt five times over. So many of us, we've escaped death. Uh, so narrow uh, that it ought to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. And still we can't find it to lift our voices and give praise to an almighty God that's been good to us. Well, I'm not saying you ain't had hard times. Probably not as hard as leprosy. Amen. But I'm not saying you ain't had hard times. I'm saying God's been good even in the hard times. And that ought to drive us to our face in worship to Him. That ought to give us something that puts us in the prayer closet and puts us at His feet. Notice finally the Lord's declaration, and I'm done. The Lord said some interesting things here in this passage. Notice the first thing He says. He says this, There were ten lepers cleansed. Where are the nine? Can I say to you that gratitude is a rare thing in this day that we live in? In all sorts of avenues of life, but particularly in our spiritual walk. There's lots of folks, listen now, and I'm not trying to preach at the crowd that's not here, uh, at the damage of the crowd that is here, but I'm just trying to give you a basic uh, truth here. There's a lot of folks laid in bed this morning could have been at the Lord's house because they're not grateful for their salvation. Well, I know, I know that hurt. You say, preacher, there might have been some that was sick. There probably were some that were sick. Probably were some that weren't able to make it. Sure, there's always some providentially hindered. But I ain't been in this thing long, but I have been in it long enough to understand that that ain't everybody. I'm sure there were some that were too sick to go. I'm sure there were some that couldn't make it. But I'm sure there were some others that that blanket just felt heavy to them and that bed just felt warm. And at that moment, they weren't thinking about Calvary. They were thinking about sleeping in. There's lots of folks, listen now, and I'm not, I'm not scolding our church. Our church is good to give. But listen, there's a lot of folks that when that paycheck gets cut to them, all of a sudden they forget the price Christ paid for them. And they can't afford to tithe then. You know something I found out? My daddy told me this growing up. And I found it absolutely to be true. There's lots of folks say, Preacher, I can't afford to tithe. And I found this in my life. You can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. You can't afford to rob God 
of His tithes and offerings. You can't afford. God put holes in your bags if He has to. You can't afford to do that. But even beyond that, let me ask you this. Is 10% or, I, you know, I kind of believe now, I mean, everybody, we can fight about this like good Baptists if you want to. But if you're really going to be biblical, in the Old Testament under the rule of tithing, they didn't give 10%. They gave 22 and a third percent because they'd tithe 10% to the work, 10% to the workers. And then every three years they'd tithe another 10% for the maintenance of the tabernacle. Uh, so really, if we're going to be biblical, really, if you want to tithe, you better be writing 22 and a third percent uh, now, or 23 and a third percent. I'm not asking you to do that because we find in the New Testament, not the principle necessarily of 10%. I think 10% is a good starting point. But you know what we find in the New Testament? We found that they gave first to themselves. We find grace-filled giving, God love of the cheerful giver. But you know, it's funny. We say, well, you know, preacher, I just can't afford to give that. Nobody says that to me because I don't know what anybody tithes. But if I did know, they might say that. Preacher, I, I, you know, I can't afford to. And after all God's done for us, Oh, I know that may it may seem like I'm shaming us tonight, and a little shame might do us a little bit of good. I'm not trying to be mean, uh, but I'm merely saying, after all God's done for us, and we can't get out and hand out a track, and we can't invite somebody to church, and we can't give her tithes when God expects us to, we can't get out of bed when God expects us to, God help us, we're an ungrateful group of people. The reality of it was this. Gratitude is a rare thing. We live in a day of casual Christianity. We live in a day where churches, they're cutting down on services, uh, not because they have to, but because it's more convenient. Uh, we live in a day where churches are doing away with the midweek prayer service, and they say, well, you know, preacher, small groups, small groups, small groups. Uh, well, you know, I, I found this. Anytime you get a small group going together, usually it's either a source of heresy or a source of contention or a source of laziness. Amen. Uh, God called us to uh, come together, not to break up and separate apart. Now, I, I'm not saying, I'm not talking talking ecumenicalism now. The Bible says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together, as a manner of some is. We live in a day where churches are doing the small group thing because it's an opportunity for everybody to sit around somebody's house, drink coffee, and eat cake, and not be spiritual. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just saying that's the trend of Christianity today. That's the trend of it. Let's see how convenient and comfortable we can make this thing. Why are we so worried about it being so convenient on us? If we just get our eyes fixed on Calvary, we'd realize it's not all about us. It's all about Him. We see that gratitude is a rare thing. But notice this. I like this. He says, this one has returned to give glory to God. Gratitude is rare, but gratitude is returning. It wasn't just about what He said. It was about what He did. I believe we ought to praise the Lord and rejoice in Him with our lips. I believe we ought to. I've heard people say, well, preacher, I'm just not that type. Oh, yes, you are. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you're redeemed, you're that type. I'm not saying you're the type to run a lap. I'm not saying you're the type to do a backflip or walk on pews. But everybody's the type to brag on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been saved. We're all that type. You may not do it like the person next to you, uh, but you'll do it the way that the Lord expects you if you're in the will of God. Uh, everybody is that type. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but I'm saying this. Gratitude has to do with more than just what we say. We can talk about how good He's been to us, but if we're not willing to return to His feet and worship Him and serve Him, it don't mean anything. Uh, it, it don't mean a thing. We can talk about how much we love the Lord, but what did He say? Uh, Herein is the love of God. Uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. 
We can talk about how much we love God. We can talk about everything He's done. And we should talk about it. But if our life doesn't back up, if our life doesn't gee and haul with that truth and that idea, it doesn't mean anything to God. And it's probably not going to mean anything to those that are around us either. Gratitude's a returning thing. Finding your place back in communion with God. I'm not just talking about the church house. I'm talking about your prayer closet. I'm talking about the Word of God. I'm talking about your communion with Him. Those that are grateful spend time with Him. I find it interesting. I don't know what this man's religious background was. Probably didn't have much of one. If he's a leper, it's probably been a long time since he's been to church. Amen. And yet he instinctively knows the first thing to do is to fall at his feet. Nobody had to tell him. Nobody had to coach him. If you're truly grateful, you'll find your place at his feet. If you're truly grateful, you'll want to spend time with him in the prayer closet. You'll want to spend time with him in your Bible. If you're truly grateful, if gratitude is truly present in your life, he won't have to whip you to get you to spend time with him. I want to notice one final thing. Gratitude is a rewarding thing. He looks at this man and he says, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. I hinted at this a moment ago. I'm just going to say a word about it. But I want you to get it. It's really the thrust of the message tonight. When we're not grateful for what God's done, we miss the greater blessing that He has planned and prepared for us. Think about those other nine lepers. So consumed with the cleansing that had happened that they ran off to the priest and they missed the salvation of the Son of God. Let me tell you something. You, are you rejoicing because God has paid your bills? God bless you. That's wonderful. But the great truth is not that He paid your bills, but the lesson of faith He taught you through you trusting Him. Are you rejoicing because God raised you up out of a sick bed? God bless you. I still believe God heals folks. I don't believe TV preachers heal folks. I don't believe preachers heal folks. But I believe God heals folks when it's in His will. And did God raise you up out of a sick bed? Wonderful. But He's done a lot more than just give you your health back. He's given you the opportunity to live another day and to serve Him and glorify I'm saying this, there's a greater blessing that we're missing. There's a greater blessing. Did God heal your marriage? You know that a marriage is a lot like a body. And not every sickness in a marriage is terminal. But there's some sicknesses that they impede our quality, our life in our marriage. Listen now. This is Marriage Council 101. You ready? Not every, not every sickness in a marriage is terminal to that marriage. Some of them are. A lot of them are. But there's a lot of us that we were never going down to the lawyer to sign the divorce papers. We were never getting ready to throw a towel in and, and, and uh, say quits. But we still had things wrong in our marriage and God fixed them. Well, the greatest thing that He did for you is not that He give you your family back or not that, not that your home was healed. The greatest thing that you learned uh, is when you put your faith in God, He answered and saw through. We could say the same thing about trials. God doesn't sit up and laugh when He sees you go through trials. It breaks the heart of God to put you through trials. But He's got a greater blessing He's trying to get you to gain from it. He's trying to do something in your life that will mold you and shape you and make you more conformed to the image of His dear Son. Gratitude is a rewarding thing. We'll find the greater blessing in gratitude than we will in the initial thing that He's done for us. We'll find the greater blessing in our thankfulness towards Him than we will in His power towards us that He's manifested.
It's like the prayer life. I mean, listen, friend, uh, if we're not thanking God for our prayers and being mindful of what God's done for us in our prayer life, our prayer life ain't going to last very long. The thing that keeps our prayer life going is that we know it's real. We know that God hears and answers. We ask Him to do something and He makes a way. We're, we're aware of that. And as we thank Him and praise Him for what He's done in our life, it gives us the faith for another prayer, for another time, for another intercession. And God makes a way. Now listen tonight, I, I'm not, and I don't even know how to do an invitation except to say this. There's some of us, I'm sure, and I don't know who it is, I don't know the human heart, but I'm sure in a, in a group this size there's probably some of us that ain't been grateful like we ought to. And every one of us could be grateful more. Maybe there's some of us that God smote our hearts tonight over ingratitude. And maybe there's others that wouldn't say, Preacher, I've been ungrateful, but I could always be grateful more. But let me just ask you this tonight. If God's spoken to your heart, maybe you want to find a place around this altar this evening and talk to Him and thank Him for what He's done in your life. Uh, Listen, not because the preacher asked you to, but because the greater blessing is in the gratitude.